Welcome back to Industry Change. Here I am, and today we're talking all about fitness. We're talking all about the digital space and bringing it all together. And I really wanted to bring in a special guest today to talk about that. I think the number one uh, guy in the space, Toby Pierce. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, mate. Thank you. For those who don't know, Toby made her fiance, Kayla Itzinas, and she has an amazing following Instagram, 10.5 million followers mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at this point of time. And the, the program that's really started all was an ebook mm -hmm. for about $70 and uh, moved that in the BGG program. And from there, moving to a sweat app. So some impressive numbers I want to share with you. We've got 30 million users on your platform, a mm -hmm. uh, few hundred thousand paying users, uh, billions of impressions, 100 million revenue cracking, and uh, 155 countries and counting, mm -hmm. and a South Australian business and you're in your early or mid 20s. Yeah. And I wanted to talk all about that. So welcome to the show. So let's, uh, let's start by uh, understanding a bit more about yourself. Mm -hmm. um, you're a very hard man to get a hold of in regards to you're never on the front, yeah. which I like. Yeah. And it means you're probably doing a really good job in the background. So tell me about your yeah. story. Um, well, yeah, definitely, definitely working on it. And I think, um, yeah, I think obviously for me, like the, the priority early on was just to make sure that the business was doing as good as possible. And, um, I guess you know, the, the business's success and I think even more importantly the, the success of our, our consumers and the members of our platform is not predicated on anything to do with me other than my ability to run the business well. Um, so yeah, my, my focus for you know, early on and even still up until today is more about like you know, what value can I add to the platform and to our members, mm. not so much about how can I yeah, be out there you know, and be in front of the camera. So. And your background is a personal trainer, is that correct? You yeah. started off pretty young? Yeah. So. Um, yeah, sort of after I uh, got out of high school, I was, I was at university doing yep. a double degree in commerce and law, um, which I think, you know, I didn't end up finishing okay. um, because the business kind of took off really well. But um, I actually took out personal training because, I mean, I was, I was really kind of passionate about lifting weights and, and health and fitness in general, but I really actually just wanted a, a flexible career, a flexible job. Um, yeah, in the meantime, while kind of doing my, my degrees at university, and um, yes, yeah, so I started out as a as a one-on-one -on -one personal trainer uh, yep. in uh, 2011, end of okay. 2011. Um, yeah, and then kind of did that up until middle of 2014, and then kind of was simultaneously running the running the online business early on as well. So. And you met your fiance Kayla uh, yep. in in the early stages, is that right? Yeah. So uh, I think 2012. Um, okay. So we've been together for almost like six and a half years, and we're engaged now. Um, Congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, so. Um, yeah, we actually had been together for a couple of years before we ever sort of yeah, started doing any business together. So it was kind of, um, I guess, almost a little accidental slash organic that we kind of ended up doing business together. So, yeah. so 2011, 2012, when your personal training, personal training was a thing back then. I don't think it was like brand yeah. new. It was still, yeah. I, got, I started personal training in maybe 2000 and it was very mm -hmm. new then. Mm -hmm. And so 2011, 2012, um, was there you know, much need for, for an online program at that stage or people mm. calling out for it? What, what mm. kind of made you go down that way? Because I'm assuming you were you know, one-on-one -on -one personal training, is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, well, I, I kind of did a, a bit of everything. Okay. Um, so yeah, I started, I started like really like right at the end of 2011 um, and then you know, I pretty much started and then had a Christmas break, which was not necessarily okay. the best time to start. Okay. But, um, yeah, so I kind of I did the the one on one and then the small group training in a gym, and I went into a gym that had sixteen other personal trainers. Wow. Um, so it wasn't um, it was kind of like a big box gym. It wasn't necessarily, yeah, you know, there wasn't exactly leads flying around, jumping off the walls. So Everybody it was kinda, had them already. Yeah. So it was kind of 
it was an interesting learning curve for me there because obviously like if you have another job you kind of go to work you do your hours you get paid and you leave yep. um, but then when you're sort of like oh I could be in the gym for 16 hours today and not get paid mm. once um, you know so you, you start to learn how to how to make that work but yeah I went from that and then um, kind of did some consulting as well for some other like large corporates um, and then that kind of led me into boot camps um, okay. so I ended up um, actually running like two franchises of my own boot camp business out of uh, out of Adelaide um, which was kind of like where Kayla and I sort of started working together on that but um, yeah that was kind of like early on in the journey that was, okay. how it was happening and with the uh, yeah so with the digital stuff um, you know really interestingly I didn't understand this probably at the time but sure. like I was I had like my clients and I got to a point where uh, probably about six months after I started I was pretty much booked out um, and when I mean booked out I mean booked out from yeah I would have Monday to Friday I'd have sessions from 6 a.m. until 10 p.m. Wow so every hour yeah back to back okay. except for when I would work out okay um, and uh, and I would also do a couple of hours on Saturday and four hours on Sunday yep um, so I was pretty like hardcore booked out at that point and that kind of led me to well there was two things so one that's where the boot camps came from because yep. I want to better train more people um, and have a lower price point but also you know how do I get my knowledge and education and learnings across to my customers without actually having to give them time because I, I don't actually have any more time um, so that actually started with really really like okay you had a problem yeah so these were kind of like I developed a really premature set of ebooks okay. like, um, which was just a whole bunch of basic info um, you know that I that I kind of had and really conventional fundamental educational principles right. for health and fitness and then um, yeah and then when Kayla and I we'd been working together in our boot camps and people started to kind of request um, and it was a females and males or just females at that time? Just, just women only. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, we had like a whole bunch of people on social media kind of being like, oh, like, I want to train like that and I want to, I want to have well, those learnings and yeah, how, do I, how do I get that? And so we kind of had a conversation about, well, yeah, we could do boot camps, boot camp franchising has been successful um, you know, nationally and internationally. But I think the, the concern was we didn't really have, there wasn't enough quality control. Sure. Um, and so, you know, rather than kind of learn to tackle that problem, we're like, oh, well, like, let, let's just try this online thing and see if we can kind of, let's progress where we are now with mm -hmm. the, the mini ebooks that we're yep. doing and can we do a proper, like a bigger, legit version? And um, yeah, so we did. And, then and uh, at that time there, I mean, what kind of numbers were selling in this ebook before you, you know, obviously yep. there was something happening there at that time, I'm assuming? Yeah, so, well, I think we had a, we probably had a little bit of a head start um, because we'd been using social media to um, drive leads to the boot camps. Yep. Um, and as that audience grew, so did the desire for these products. So by the time we got around to launching, I think we, probably like on Kayla's page would have generated about 150,000 fans. Wow. Um, so we, when, we actually, when we actually launched the workout book, um, which was January the 4th of 2014, um, yeah, we did, um, we did about $75,000 in the first day. Yep. Um, but then obviously what happens is you kind of, the impulsive and the excited super fans buy and then yep. obviously the Goes traffic down. drops. So and how much is the ebook, just out of curiosity? Um, so at that point it was um, about 70 bucks okay. um, for the workouts. But with that, you got about you know, a couple of hundred pages of educational information, 12 weeks worth of workouts, a glossary wow. for every single exercise, yep. basic like mechanics of exercise and weight loss and so on and so forth. Um, so it wasn't like, it was probably the equivalent of like three or four books kind of in sure. one. So um, you put a lot of energy into this ebook, yeah? Yeah, it was hundreds of pages okay. long. Um, so, and um, I think like, if I'm really honest, that was probably one of the really big differentiators early yeah. on. So like we were selling it at that point and we had some people who we didn't even really recognize as competitors then, but like who were doing the same, but selling a 20 or 30 page sure. ebook for yeah. 70 bucks as well. Yep. Um, so the customers are- So it's interesting at that point then, obviously yeah. the competition or well, the competition at that point mm. were very like uh, front end competition, short ebook, yep. quick cash. 
you already had the yeah. long game at that point. Yeah, and so I think that's and that, that that's literally just in my nature. Yeah. Um, you know, so from a business and from a life perspective, you know, kind of most of my decisions were always made about like, well. Yeah, if we wanted to get something out and get it out quick, then we would do this. But if we wanted this to be perfect or closer mm. to perfect yep. um, and really comprehensive and high quality, then it should be this. Because inevitably, yeah, I think most people in marketing and, and generally in business will probably agree that you know, the, the best way to sell your product in high volume is to have a product that sells itself. Um, yeah, good know. point. Yeah, so I think like for us and, and like that that was you know like what, what was working about our boot camps as well. It wasn't just that the workouts were good and that people liked them and yep. that it got them results. Like yes, that's all part of the package, but it was also kind of the like, well, these are our fundamental pillars of success sure. in health and fitness and this is how weight loss works and this is why this is important and yep. so on and so forth. And and that's been a value that we've kind of held literally ever since the first day that you know I was a PT and Kayla was a PT you know two years before I was okay. so she's been doing it for coming up 10 years next year wow yeah and so in this point here obviously we throw Instagram in we throw Facebook yep. in the works um, I don't even know actually when Instagram came out the year it came out I'm, I'm sure you have that information maybe probably I think 2011 2012 and you were yeah. on it 2011 2012 around that or was it 2013 um, or something like that probably 20 end of 2012 or middle okay. end of 2012 I think right. but um at that point, it was it was more of a, a image cataloging tool for us than it was actually a, a social media platform. And um, I think um, yeah, but we, we did quickly learn how it worked, obviously. And and this is interesting because you already had the product out there before yep. that. Then a new platform came, and when I mean, you're talking about the product, you had a quality mm. product out there, mm. hundreds mm. of pages. Yeah. Then uh, Instagram comes out. Mm. Um, you're doing your before and after pictures. That's yep. that's what I'm hearing a lot about. Yep. Where your success came from. Yeah. Um, tell me about that process now. Like, what was the jump when you went to Instagram, or was there a jump at that yeah. point? Um, well, I mean, like, yeah, it, it was it was such a different social media world. Um, obviously Very different back then. Today, yeah. um, so I think, yeah, we, we kind of started and it was, it was obviously like a bit of a slow burn, um, you know, getting to the first 50, 100,000 fans, it took a very, very long time, but yeah. it was more, yeah, once we, yeah, we had some fan, had some fan base and we launched a quality product and we started to do some really basic like marketing strategies. We really went from, I can't remember exactly, but I think it would have been 150,000 fans to close on a million, like in the first 12 months of actually doing that. Yeah. Um, and, and again, like that was, you know, by no means obviously was that accidental, like it was very deliberate, but it was just that it turned out that the strategies, the strategies that we were using and the approach that we were taking was just very, very different to what mm. everyone else was kind of using. And do you think is, do you think a lot of uh, like growth like that, what's that, 10, about 10 times growth right mm. there on Instagram, mm. is it timing? Like if you can go that, do that right now with somebody mm. else, would you have the same effect yeah. at this point or not? Um, well, look, I mean, I, I definitely think like, you know, can, can you continually sustain that growth? Like obviously no, yep. um, you know, but like Kayla's still gaining millions of fans a year. Yep. Like she, um, you know, on Facebook, she would have gone up by probably six or seven million fans this year. Um, you know, so I think, um, you know, is is that 10x growth? Like, no, obviously not. But then, yeah. but at that level, you know, like you're talking about really economics at that point. Like, mm. how many people are actually on the platform? Yeah, you know, and like our, you're like so for Kayla, like her total addressable market in our top 10 countries on Facebook, for example, is 175 million women between the age of 16 and 44. Um, you know, so when you talk about the fact that she's probably got close on, I think from memory, close on 30 million fans or whatever on Facebook, like that's pretty good mm. penetration. You're pretty much in there. Yeah. Um, so I think like, yeah, you're going to get deteriorating returns, but I think that in relation to the, the growth, like the platform has changed and will continue to change, not dissimilar to any other platform, but yeah. I think the, the, the nuance and prowess is kind of about how you adapt and pivot in those changes, you know, so like, for example, 
when Instagram first came out, it was 100% exposure newsfeed, you know, which basically meant that any piece of content you posted would appear in the newsfeed of any single follower because yep. they didn't have algorithmic distribution of content that early on because the business sure. just was not that developed and they didn't have the data yep. science capabilities. Um, a little bit specific, but um, I but, like it. I like but, the specifics. Um, but obviously, further down the track, that obviously becomes a thing. So then sure. you need to come up with different ways to engage users in a similar fashion. Um, you know, even though you're going to be fighting against a deteriorating engagement rate and deteriorating growth rates. Um, mm -hmm. So then, yeah, videos weren't available. Then it became available. That became a thing, and then stories became available. And so there's all these different things. It's kind of how do you use and leverage each of those tools and opportunities to the best of your ability? Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of people kind of look at those things fearfully, whereas yep. we would look at them and say, well, oh, that's just the next opportunity for growth. Yeah. That's great. Great mindset. And I'm going to keep flicking through the tactical yeah. concept, I think, because we're in that world now. Um, let's talk about you know, Instagram. We have a lot of Instagram famous. You know, mm -hmm. there's, there's Instagram famous everywhere at the moment. And uh, you, guys, you guys are doing something very different. Uh, mm -hmm. You're, you're very careful on what you post. Um, you told mm -hmm. me before that you take zero sponsors, mm -hmm. is that correct? Yeah. Um, I'd love to know the angle on that and the type of content that you actually post that's very different to the Instagram famous girls or guys out there that are really mm -hmm. showing a lot of their body, that are just yeah. posting and posting, taking a lot of, uh, mm -hmm. I guess, influences and, and taking opportunities there. Can you yeah. tell me why you've kind of against that whole concept? Paul? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think, yeah, so from a, from, from a branding perspective, like so to, to, to label, yep. you know, like what, what it is. So like, like take Kayla, for example, you know, is, is our mission to make her an influencer mm -hmm. or is our mission to make her influential? Right. Yeah, and that's a, there is a key differentiation there. Yeah, so an influencer is a, is a type of business model, basically, like they, they're leveraging their fan base to do collaboration endorsement deals to generate revenue, right? Yep. So our argument to that would be, you know, subject to one of the very few types that there is, out of all the different types of opportunities and deals, you know, this is my favorite tea or protein or clothing or whatever, yep. right? How much value does that add to our customer? Mm. And, like, and the, the response is typically zero. Because if I'm wearing this clothing, that does nothing for you. I mean, other than like you might say, cool, I like that clothing and buy it, but yep. that still actually added no value to you. Like you've acquired a new sports bar or a new tights or whatever. Um, you know, and like for us, a lot of what we do was always really kind of, you know, it was very customer centric. It's like, well, what value does this give to the customer? You know, is it a tip? Is it a fact? Is it motivation, inspiration, aspiration? Like what different type of, you know, kind of value are we adding to the person? And, you know, promoting things doesn't do that. Yep. Um, and I think as well, you know, I could go down this rabbit hole for a really long time, um, but, uh, I think as well, um, you know, if you really, really want people to listen to what you say, yep. you say less. And so it's kind of the, you know, the, the boy that cried wolf story. You know, if you sure. cry wolf all the time, you're the one time when you actually cry wolf, then no one's going to come, right? You know, and so from a promotions perspective, if you're constantly saying, this is my favorite, and that is my favorite, and this is my favorite, and that is my favorite, like, you're just saturating your audience. And then mm -hmm. eventually, whatever actually is your favorite, is no longer important. Sure. You know, so we would much rather be able to say like, this is the one thing, mm. and everyone really listen to that because we have the credibility, rather than everything being my one thing. Well, you're then you're starting to basically turn into an info commercial. Yeah. Brand, right? Yeah. And so like, I think for us, like, we want the we want to be influential. You know, so when what we when we say things that people actually genuinely listen, mm. and that requires trust and credibility, and and you know, and so on and so forth, and consumers, which you just don't get if you're yeah, one or the other. Mm. So. so let's go a, a touch on there, like, so vanity, vanity marketing, I mean, what would you consider that then? Yeah, so I think, um, well, th th there's a really interesting, yeah, there's a really, really interesting thing, like, so from a, from a content creation perspective, and I'll, I'll start really deep and I'll sure. kind of come out, but from a content creation perspective, you, you very often say like, okay, as a marketer, like, my job is to deliver to you, my manager, 
the absolute best stats, right? Yep. And those stats should be, oh, like, how do I get more new fans and how do I get more likes and more comments and more shares and so on and yeah, so forth. Yeah, that right? makes like, sense. They're, like, they're fundamental KPIs for a content or social marketing um, you know, employee of any business. Um, but the thing that I would argue then is, uh, but how are you bridging the gap from those metrics to business value? And so the reality is that um, you know, business value is usually dictated by, by messaging and by brands. So like for example, if I'm, it's, it's the crying wolf thing. If you're saying something a hundred times over and then you say the one thing that you actually want to get across, mm. but your audience doesn't engage with it, yep. then it doesn't really matter, right? So you know, sure. the, the flow or that conversation between the employee and the manager or the manager and the employee should be, yes, of course, I want you to get the best stats, their vanity metrics because they make you look good and make me look good yep. and whatever, right? But the one thing that should always come before that is that it should be on brand, right? And so the conversation should not be, how do I get the absolute most likes and comments? It should be based on what we are trying to say and get across to our customers from a branding perspective, within the realms of that, now how do I get the best engagement and performance? Because there's no point in, you know, I, I could post a whole bunch of really controversial, funny, cute dog playing yep, in a park yep. content and get heaps of likes and fans. But is that going to help me? You know, is that going to help me sell software, or is mm. that going to help me sell fitness content? Like, no. Like, yes, there'll be some people within that audience who ultimately do like that stuff. Yep. Um, but the penetration and the, the success of that as a campaigning strategy is, is not going to be anywhere near as high as you know, hundred thousand fans who love dogs versus hundred thousand fans who are really engaged with fitness content and believe in your credibility as a mm. trainer. Like, they're two very different audiences. Yep. So I think you know, it, it, while it's all well and good to focus on those, those vanity metrics, the likes, comments, shares, and fans, and whatever, I think the more important thing is you know, like how are, how engaged are those people you know, at an emotional level, like mm. with your product and with your brand and with what it is that you're saying. And that's the that that would be the one word you'd use: emotional. Like get them emotional, so you can then yep. open the doors. Yeah, I think so. Like so, the the way we kind of refer to it internally at Sweat is that you know we have two really different types of metrics on, on social. You know, we have quantitative, yep. so likes, fans, comments, you know, growth and whatever. But then we have qualitative, and the qualitative kind of refers to like, well, emotionally, how does that content make somebody feel? Yeah, and yeah, from a branding perspective, like, is that in alignment with our branding values and our brand messaging? Yeah. So, for example, one that anyone in the fitness space can relate to is like, rah, like, get shredded abs sure. in four weeks, yeah. right? I don't think there's many women in the world that would read that and say, oh, that just, <laughs> I'm so motivated to work out now after sure. being told that I yep. can get abs in four weeks. I wasn't actually aware that getting abs in four weeks was my goal. <laughs> yeah, like most yeah. most people, and especially women, really just want to work out to feel better. And I'm like, yeah, sure. More often than not, um, if it's their first experience or, the, or they're less educated in fitness and health, they'll typically say like, oh, I just want to lose five kilos. Because they believe that that's the measure. But then the reality is that when they actually start training or whatever, like, yes, cool, they might still track their weight, but the thing that they actually value the most is how they feel. Yeah, and it all really comes back to emotion. Like, why did you want to lose the five kilos in the first place? Yep because you don't feel comfortable for whatever reason or you believe that society's impression of you is one that is not acceptable or whatever that way. So you say, oh, well, you know, I, don't feel, I feel bad this way, so I want to feel good, and I think that's what the world's telling me mm. I should do. Whereas we would, we would never, ever do that. We would never, ever say those things. Like, so as, an orga as an organization, would never, ever use that language. Yep. So. It makes sense. I mean, feeling, it's what we teach a lot of our, a lot of our members. It's around feelings mm. about emotions, and I think you've done that very well from what I can see mm. on the front end. That gets me to the next point, you know, when we look at um, innovation and we look at, you know, when you're saying, hey, can you cons consistently grow this way? Mm. Um, you're really a visionary and you've gone now from uh, Kayla and you've actually now opened up from Ka Sweat with Kayla to Sweat. Yep. And uh, can you let me know a little bit more of that? Because you're in 155 countries yep. and counting. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I don't know how many countries there are, do you know? I don't even know, okay, no. so All I know is that there's 155 or more. Yeah. <laughs> so you're 155, so you're a global, yeah. you know, a global app there. You mm. know, what is the future now for Squared and what, what does yeah. it look like now? I mean, uh, I know five years we're talking about, but five years mm. you've had such growth. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe where's the next five years going for Sweat? Yeah. So I think, um, you know, it's probably important to perhaps add some context, mm. you know, to the, the history of the business. So we, we launched the, the, the BBG, the, the Bikini Body Guides with Kayla in 2014. Um, in late 2015, we launched um, that content from the ebook, but into an app called Sweat with Kayla. Um, then in 2017, in May of last year, we launched Sweat or we rebranded the Sweat. So yeah. the, 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 the transition that has occurred um, has not by any means been accidental and it okay. was all really purpose um, oriented. Yep. So um, if we go back in time to early 2014, we launched the business, um, you know, we, we'd reached 10 million women online, um, you know, were doing a pretty good job and then th these, you know, some of these really, these really, really big, um, you know, like existential questions from an organisational perspective started to, you know, to pop up and they were basically that, um, yeah, okay, well, you know, but is every woman in the world ever going to train just one way? Sure. And you know, I think obviously the answer is definitely not. I yeah. Think, well, yeah, when they go through a cycle, depending on what they go through, yeah. uh, they're going to yeah. change a lot of yeah, things. So even you know, a lot of women have children. Like yep. You can't do high intensity training immediately after pregnancy. Like, sure. it's, just not, it's not a reality. Um, people have injuries, um, people have preferences, you know, um, people have uh, capabilities, you know, um, access or limited access, whatever, right? So there's yep. abundance of different stuff. So with that kind of started the conversation about, oh, okay, well, we need different types of content. You know, that probably means we need different people to be the you know, to be the trainers and to distribute and create that content. Um, there was a, also a conversation around well, um, you know, we, we, PDFs are not really interactive. Like ebooks sure. are not interactive. Yep. We can't collect data on our users, and therefore we can't improve the experience. So we want need to be a, in, a, in a in an app or software or whatever. Um, you know, to hold more content, we had to be really like platform based. It had to be kind of you know, you hold content of a ubiquitous type almost in nature. Mm. Um, and so, you know, and then also it was like, oh, well, that price point in, in you know, typical English-speaking Western markets is probably okay, but then sure. it's, you, you go to internationalise <coughs> and you look at other markets, like that, that, that could potentially actually be quite a large portion of the, you know, mm. um, medium socioeconomic demographics weekly wage. Yeah. You know, so, okay, how do we accommodate all these things? And that's the answers kind of really, really presented themselves in some way, you know, so the... Yeah, we didn't want to have an ebook because of interactiveness, so we went to an app. Um, you know, with, with the app, we, we wanted people to be able to have a lower barrier to entry, so yep. we'll, like, we'll reduce the price, but we'll make it a monthly fee. Sure. Um, they can't you know, withdraw the content effectively, so they pay for the access to it. Um, some people wanted to be able to try it without paying for it, so we'll give them a seven-day free trial. Um, some people wanted it in different languages, so we localise it to eight languages. You know, so all, all of these things started to happen, but the, the really big like, play there was obviously like, how do we get to sweat? Yes. Like how do we get from an ebook to an app and then from a single brand, yeah. monopolistic content source? And that's to what nobody I've seen in your kind of space has actually done. This is the big yeah. difference I'm seeing. Yeah, and so I think for us like that, so you know, if you, if you look at it, if you zoom back and pause on time quickly, you say, oh, we went from you know, BBG to Sweat with Kayla, mm. which wasn't an accident because we'd already known that the business was going to be called Sweat. Yep. And so that was the smoothest way of transitioning the brand from sure. one person yep. to a platform and from Kayla being probably the most well-known and influential women's personal trainer in the world, yep. you know, to being a personal trainer within a platform. And so we had to take those steps to do the pivot. And um, 
and, you know, I think uh, you know, fortunately that's been really successful and it, it worked out. But there was a lot of yeah, there's a lot of behind the scenes thinking that kind of went into that, and um, you know how you differentiate from an individual or a personal mm. brand to a platforms brand, you know, like because they're two different marketing you know, methods. So. Yeah, so you're still marketing with the individual though, right? Is that correct? correct? Yeah. Yeah. And you've got that brand. Is there a, is there a future to get more, or are we stopping at three? Or definitely, be definitely to not seeing. stopping. Okay. Um, definitely got some stuff coming up very soon that will will be pretty exciting, I think, for our for our audience. But I think for us, you know, the, the, the simple way of putting that is like, how do we become? You know, how, how do we become the biggest digital gym in the world? You know, mm -hmm. how, how do we become? Um, how do, how do we how do we find a way to provide value and, and assist women in their fitness journey, regardless of where they're located? what point they're at in their fitness journey, what type of training they want to do, you know, like all those things. How, how do we help every woman, basically? And that takes me to another point. Um, I mentioned before, like mentors and, and your visionary approach. You're 26, mm. um, you've had massive growth, mm. um, and you know, you're behind the scenes and really pushing this brand forward. Where do mm. you get the visionary ideas from? Mm. Where do you get, uh, do you have a mentor? Uh, do you believe in mentors? Do you mm. have a coach? Uh, you know, yeah. do you hang out in the digital space? Do you hang out in the fitness space? Yeah. Where, where, where do you put your energy, or what books, you know, stimulate you? Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, you know, I, I kind of initially had the idea for Swear as a platform when I was 22. Okay. Um, and was you know kind of already already running a couple of businesses at the same time. Um, and uh, I think, you know, like really early on, there wasn't necessarily really a good opportunity to have you know, a mentor with the specific experience that, you know, I kind of needed. So, like, of course, like, I surrounded myself with smart people that were knowledgeable in certain areas, sure. you know, and um, whether it be friends or, you know, even, like, my accountants and lawyers and whatever, just to learn to learn yep. some of that stuff. But um, I think early on it was pretty hard because we were kind of really, like, on the forefront of a lot of stuff mm. that was happening both in digital and in fitness and in technology and so on yeah. and so forth. So, you know, how you, how you find one person to do all of that is difficult, but I think also how do you find someone at all in South Australia in a space that, that, that we're not, in, in SA, we have a lot of agricultural and real estate yes, and building businesses. Yes. We don't necessarily have a lot of software and technology. Now that's definitely on the change and that's yeah. really great and exciting, but you know, four, four years ago, sure. it wasn't necessarily that way. Um, so I really spent like a lot of time kind of self-learning, um, you know, read hundreds of books, um, hundreds of podcasts, thousands of different blogs and articles online. Um, and that, that just, yeah, basically tried to put myself on a vertical learning trajectory. Um, now it's very different. Yeah, I'm really fortunate to be kind of very, very well networked in, you know, like in the spaces that we are as a company. So from the outside, people will probably say we're a health and fitness business. And yeah. of course, like we... we it's the product yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we have exercise scientists and nutrition scientists who work in our company. Like we have them as, as employees. But I think we would, we would probably more so say that we're actually a software company and a subscription company and a media production business and so on and so forth. So, you know, I've got people in my life who I'd say, uh, you know, have run tremendous software businesses who I learn from. Um, yeah, people who are great on content and production and so great. on and so forth. And and then obviously there's people who are general business leaders who I've been able to learn from or, or who I aspire to be like. So so that drives me to the next question then, you know, what what is the why when somebody can self-learn like mm. the way you've done, mm. really projected really fast, mm. you know, what is that thing that, that keeps you up? What's the why for you that you can actually go yeah. and study yourself? Um, well, I think it's probably, it, it's, you know, it's, I guess a, a why is probably a good question, but I think maybe... Um, well, yeah, yeah, maybe there's a why, right? But like, I, I'd probably say when not. It's not necessarily about when I should learn or what books I should read or whatever. It's more about like why, why not? Like in some regards. So, a lot of people kind of take the approach of like, oh, so and so said this is a great book. Like, sure. I'll just go and read it. Yeah. But we've all got limited time. Sure. You know, so my approach to learning was more about, um, oh, okay, cool. Like, we need to hire a project manager because they feel like we have all these problems. 
So let's read three books about project management. So that when that person comes in, I can communicate with them. So, the so you're going way. deep as you need something, you go deep, you figure yeah. it out, and then you move to the next yeah. level. Yeah. So it's solution-based learning. Like I'm learning right. this particular thing for that exact purpose. You know, I'm not just reading random business books and random motivational books for the sake of it. Like, I mean, as an individual, like personally, I'm not really lacking any motivation. You know, I'm not really lacking in those things. Um, you know, but you know, when we when we started, you know, when we first made the transition from being a typical kind of e-commerce business, which is not really software, yep. um, into a software company, I'm like, oh crap, I don't, I don't actually know anything about software. Yeah, okay, so what's an API, and you know, how do you write in these languages a program, and how do, what software architecture look like? Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't need a degree in computer science, but like having some kind of surface level knowledge or slightly below surface level knowledge is, is really like fundamental to the success mm. of my role as a leader. Because um, effectively early on, you know, the way that I explain this to a lot of people is that early on in the business of any type, like the CEO or the general manager, the director, the owner, whatever is, is yeah, let's just call them a CEO. They're really a chief everything officer. Yes, They're not really a chief everything. executive officer. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so you do whatever the hell you need to do to keep the business moving forward. And so you know, if that means I've got to recruit a data scientist, recruit a data scientist, if okay. you've got to recruit a project manager or computer science or whatever, like, yep. and you can't, like, how can you possibly hire and lead and manage someone in those areas if you don't even really know what they're doing? Mm. You know, so I think obviously there's a fine line between going too deep you know, in a particular area of learning, but I just think like, it's, it's almost like I'm obligated to have some idea about what they're doing because otherwise how can I lead them and how can I tell them what's a priority? So. Mm. I love it. it. Makes perfect sense, and that's uh, that kind of gets me on the question: leadership. Mm. Um, in one word, how would you summarise leadership? Um, probably defining where we're going. Like, well, it's not really one word, but it's just, it's, it's defining the. So end. having that vision. Yeah, it's it's, it's just well, Northern Star. Yeah, there yep. you go. So like, you know, everyone in the organisation plays their part. Um, but are really, really important for people at an individual level in an organisation is to be able to say, today I did this, I am a copywriter or I work in PR or yep. customer support or whatever. Today I did this and this thing contributes to that and that is why I'm here and okay. that is where we're going. Because I think otherwise, like, no one wants to go to work and do pointless stuff. You know, yep. like there's, um, there's a, if, you, if you feel like you're going to work every day and you're kind of doing the same thing over and over and over again and there's no value to it, yep. then eventually you do it slower and slower and of lower sure. quality, right? <laughs> so um, there's a really cool, uh, I'll probably kind of mess it up, there's a really cool example of this where they had you know, factory workers come in and like, construct a box which would take 20 to 30 minutes or whatever yep. and then the person in front of them would smash it and destroy it. They'd be given another set and they'd do the box again. Yep. And basically what would happen is the performance of this group versus the, you know, the standard group these guys would be at a normal pace and a consistent pace, whereas these guys would continuously deteriorate and deteriorate and deteriorate and then eventually obviously not want to do the job sure. because there's no fulfillment and you don't know where you're going and why. Um, so I think as a, as a leader, like at any level in an organisation, is basically just about setting like, this is why. Mm. And that's where and we're be going. very strong at that. Yeah, and that's it. Um, and that's definitely not something that I you know, have been very good at. Uh, it's something that I'm really learning. Yep. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's an important facet of any leader. Well, I think it's a great journey to have because you're pretty much, uh, as, you, as you said, you're learning, you're going deep, you're mm. figuring out, and then you move to the mm -hmm. next challenge. Yeah. Um, before I get into some tactical questions, going to mm. wrap up soon, um, let's talk about, just quickly go back, you do a lot of world tours, and in 2015 mm -hmm. you do a world tour. Mm -hmm. um, just talk about that feeling, because you went from a digital, yep. and then all of a sudden you got a stadium full of people. Just yep. describe that feeling that when you went and had that opportunity straight away, what, what yeah. was that difference for you guys? Yeah, so I think, um, yeah, I think part of running any business is obviously about emotional highs and lows, right? Um, but also even within just the emotional highs, there's very different kind of highs, you know, so if you're, 
you know, you see your fans go up, oh, like another 10,000 new fans this week or another 1,000 yep. new email subscribers or whatever, like, you're like, cool, that's in the green, yep. that's good, like we're winning, great, right? But then if you show up to a stadium on the other side of the world and all of a sudden the 10,000 digits on your screen yes. turn into thousands of people in a room, you're yes. doing the workout and the product that you created, like that's a really different type of yeah. emotion. It's really, it kind of, it's one of those ones that really punches you right in the chest, you know, that you definitely feel. And um, like, I think that was a really, I mean, we've, we've been doing those year after year since 2015 and it never changes. Like it's yeah. a very, very surreal moment for us. And I think it was just really, really fulfilling to see kind of, this is the product that we built and all the time and energy we put into it. Yeah. And people are actually using it. Like, you know, they're using it, right? But like when, but you, when you see them, you see, them, yeah, you see thousands of them kind of yeah, in a room doing it. Like, yeah, we're doing millions and millions of workouts a year on our platform. But seeing that number is very different to seeing a few thousand people sure. work out in one room together. And sure. um, yeah, I don't, I don't think that it'll ever kind of lose its, lose its feeling for me. Amazing. I've got a few tactical questions um, yeah. just to wrap up. And the tactical questions are like, what is, if you could say there's one great Instagram mm -hmm. hack or move, mm -hmm. uh, what would it be? Is it, is it images? Is it videos? Is it hashtags? Yeah. You know, what, what do you think? Um, oh, look, I mean, I, I definitely think um, videos are a really, really great, you know, um, way of, well, they're a really, really great way of engaging with your audience. Um, yep. But I think, um, you know, I think that the, the hack or the philosophy that we have is like, how do we create high enough quality content in a really, really, really rapid, you know, period of time? Um, you know, so it's all well and good to create like ultra, ultra high quality content, but the reality is that, that actually typically performs less, um, <laughs> less strongly than yep. kind of really you know, off the fly. I mean, that's why you look at companies like Snapchat or even stories on Instagram because the authentic stuff works well. So okay. I think, yeah, video content that's quite like authentic and I mean, like raw, I don't like the word raw, but yep. we use the word raw, um, I think is, is a very, very good strategy. Excellent. Um, we've had some massive uh, growth and massive success and uh, I think what I love about this story is that uh, I always love to interview the people behind the brands as well. Yeah. And so I know Kayla uh, is out there quite a lot as the face mm. of your brand, but uh, to me, it's amazing how the engine works in, in behind the scenes yeah. and things like that. And just one last question, because I know we could talk all day here. One last question in regards to, um, you know, if there's a PT and, and they've, they're in that mm -hmm. journey that they're maxed out hours like you were. Yeah. You know, what, what's your advice for them? Is it is it continue mm. the PT journey? Is it to uh, crack it in the digital space? Mm. What would you say if you could look back? I think um, yeah, I think they're I think they're you know, crack it in the digital space or keep going or whatever. That they're almost the solutions. Mm. You know, I think I, for me, like I always, you, you got to start with the problem before you have the solution, right? And so the yeah, the problem for me, like early on when I was a PT, was basically about like how do I yeah how do I either train more people or just provide a better service to the people that I have now. So I think um, you know to answer the question about what's the number one focus, like really I think it's just customer centricity. You know I can't possibly sit here and say to everyone that like oh like cracking it in the digital world is just exactly what you should do. And I think that if everyone said that the digital was the only way to go, then they probably don't necessarily fully sure. understand everything because there's, you know, different types of business require different strategies to get different results. Um, but the one thing that every single business on the planet shares is that if you satisfy your customer again and again and again in a really, really positive and value-adding way, then more and more people will come and pay for it. You know, so start with that solve the problems around that and, and to be honest anyway I think if you're a PT that's struggling to keep up with the amount of work that you got you're already sitting on like sure. a, a mountain of opportunity so now you've just got to find the ways to engage them different, differently so amazing do an amazing job from the start mm, yeah well thanks so much for your time uh, it's been an amazing interview and I really appreciate it no, thanks for having me thank you cheers thanks mate that's this episode of Industry Change I'll see you next time